Hi, welcome back to Unleashed at Work and Home, the podcast dedicated to helping pet professionals feel less stress and more joy in their lives. My guest today is Grisha Stewart, who is an author, speaker, and dog trainer. She's written a whole bunch of books. The one that we're probably all most familiar with is Behavior Adjustment Training, which now has a 2.0 version. And I invited Grisha today to talk to me about acceptance. Thanks so much for joining me, Grisha. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm super grateful for this. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you about this because I think acceptance is sort of a tricky, amorphous topic that when you start going, well, what does that mean? What does it really mean to have greater acceptance? Um, And I've seen your new passion towards sharing human behavior stuff. And I was like, ah, Grisha, we'll talk about acceptance with me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a a journey. And and I assume that 20 years from now, I'll look back and think, oh, I thought I had accepted myself then, but now I really do. Um, you know, we, with, we, we grow and we change and there are multiple facets of ourselves that we need to accept over time, including the aging of our bodies and all of those things. I think I originally used to think of acceptance probably on a subconscious level, but I thought of acceptance as being just being like, oh, well, I'm good enough like I am and I don't need to change anything. And, you know, so it's, it would like was the opposite of growth. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like there needed to be some sort of dissonance or some some lack of acceptance of myself to be able to push myself to the places that I wanted to grow into or I wanted to be. And there's really just so much more power that comes from accepting where we are and who we are and and still being open to the changes and the growth. And the, it, it gives us like a platform from which we are really stable and standing. And then we can see like, oh, I, I have a growth area here, right? Mm-hmm. So when I'm willing to accept the, the fear and the shame and all of those emotions that exist in me as a human being, then I can, I can have compassion for them. And I can, I can then shift the feeling, uh, the, the, I can shift my life in ways that then makes it so I don't, those don't lead me. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes very good sense. I mean, the idea of them leading you, I think, is it's a new way of looking at it for me. I mean, the phrase is a new way, but I think it's really powerful and true that that it is an and situation where you have to say, this is how I am right now. And I'd like to have that, but I'm not judging this part. This is okay. And it, I, can, I can start here and have this platform and move forward through it. So what do you think sparked your interest in, in developing this? I think it was just kind of a natural transition th- throughout my life to this. And I'm going to circle back a little bit because I thought of something that I wanted to share mm-hmm. about uh, acceptance of where we are and then having it go forward is that, so I, I work primarily with dogs who have aggression issues or also socializing younger dogs as well to prevent that. And a lot of times people don't accept the dogs that they have. So they feel they're judging of them. They're, they feel afraid of them or shaming that kind of thing. And so really that was that radical acceptance really helps with the dogs, right? That when we accept like, this is the dog I have and I love him and I'm going to make his life safe. And I'm also going to do this training that enables him to be able to grow and be more comfortable in a lot more situations. Mm-hmm. And so that same philosophy is what then you could apply to yourself is I accept myself just as I am, including the fact that part of me doesn't want to accept who I am. 
Yeah. And that's okay too, right? It's like that double acceptance. And so it kind of envelops everything and, and it's it's awesome. So circling back to your question then, in terms of where did where did this come from? So I would, I'll go back, you know, 43 years and say my mother was a meditator. And so I, I, I meditated with her when I was just a wee little child. I had no idea what I was doing. I was, sit, you know, trying to sit as still as I could. And, uh, but a lot of those, those pieces, you know, came through. And, and then later when I was a teenager, it was when I could have used meditation the most, I didn't meditate. And, and then gradually did more, you know, throughout, uh, my college years, I, I founded a group in when I was getting my master's in math. I founded a group for meditation there. So mindfulness has kind of I, I've been on this sort of you know pendulum swing where there's mindfulness, and then I go back to okay, I'm just going to do math for a while, and then mindfulness, and then dogs for a while, and, <laughs> and so the pendulum is now back you know fully centered where I'm I'm doing all the things, mm-hmm. and uh, but especially I would say since Peanut's death, Peanut was my soulmate dog, which uh, if, if people know who I am, they know who Peanut is. But he's the dog that inspired me to develop bats for helping dogs that had fears. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he passed away about four years ago. And that was the first time that I really, I, I was in a good position because I, my partner, her um, dad had died a couple of years ago. And so I had seen grief recently. I had realized how important it was to allow one to fully feel the experience. Yeah. And so then when I had my own experience, I was then, I allowed myself to be as sad as I needed to feel and not judge my process whatsoever. And that was actually the first time that I really allowed myself to feel all my feelings. Mm-hmm. I, up until that point, had been kind of proud of my stoicism and, you know, that I was able to be aloof and not, you know, cry or whatever else. And, you know, I could leave relationships and not take a look back and it was just over. And, and this, was a moment in my life where I really just allowed myself to feel all the feels. And so that opened up a a big cascade of other emotions. And so that, and then subsequently then having a partner that was going through what you could call a psychotic break or a spiritual crisis, he being with him was eye-opening. It was amazing because when a person is going through that kind of stuff, it's, it's kind of, we, I used to think of it as like it's separate or it's like a, you know, it's like I, you did, I didn't use the word broken, but like there's something like really wrong with that person, right? <laughs> and what I have come to realize is just a matter of, of scale. Like all of the things that a person who has paranoia is doing, it's it's what we all do. But if you scale it back, it just becomes worry and mistrust, yeah. right? <laughs> and and the same thing with delusions, it, it, like those are if you amp them up, you get full on delusions. If you look at it in the smaller version, it's just us projecting our feelings and emotions on other people and, and, and projecting that their intentions are different from ours. And so it was, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever trained a horse, uh, but if clicker training a horse, you can see every single muscle and it's like training in slow motion. It's the opposite of clicker training a chicken. And so it's, you can see every little detail of it and then it, it allows you to be a better trainer for dogs. And so seeing the kind of the inside out version of a human being, like seeing his subconscious on the outside, 
allowed me to really learn how to be non-defensive myself and to really assess what my motivations were and see like, am I being 100% truthful and honest at all times with this other human being? Because I needed him to trust me. And in order for him to trust me, I needed to be trustworthy. Absolutely. So it was, it was a, a moment of a long moment in time of, of really being very honest with myself. Yeah. What a powerful insight. And it is, it's very true. It falls in the category of, um, so much dog training advice that I think is someone says it to you and you go, wow, that's a new insight. And then it's so logical and so common sense that you can't believe you ever didn't think of it that way. So it's sort of a like, well, well like, duh, right. But, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but while you're talking about it and, and saying it's, you know, it's just a, a level of scale and really thinking about that and, and the changes you had to make in your own behavior to really show up. Mm-hmm. That's really yeah. a very, very powerful life-changing insight. Yeah, it was, it, it was definitely an experience. And my mother is like, you are not the same person that you were three years ago. Well, I mean, you are, you are more of the, the same person, you know, like of the layers of, yeah. of, of not being you have come off because, you know, you're much more authentic and compassionate and all those things. And I say that without, braggadocio or whatever like it's just it's just true like I was I was not as empathetic empathetic before as as I am now mm-hmm. because I didn't um I wasn't in touch with myself enough to be able to say well what's going on for you like what's going on in that other human being and so by accepting ourselves we can actually be present we can show up more for other people and so it's it's the best thing that we could possibly do for the people in our lives to accept ourselves and to be present and to be authentic mm-hmm. and to allow yourself the to feel all the feels yeah um, I was talking with a client recently and she's she's having some grief she's having some things going on in her life and she said one of the challenges is you can't schedule that <laughs> so it's come up in a couple of appointments where she'll just say to somebody I'm just having a really tough day I'm having a grief day and they yeah. will say I've had that too I've been there too I've experienced that too and it, it just creates this real understanding that so often we are stuffing things down everybody everywhere is kind of walking around going oh can't deal with that right now can't deal exactly. with exactly right push now. this over here yeah mm-hmm. and 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 to be brutally honest right now I mean, Bryce died four months ago. And so right now talking about him is still raw, of course. And so I have, I have grief in me right this minute. You know, it's a, it's like a, if I was not sitting in front, in front of a camera, I would be finding tissue right now and letting that out. And yeah, so like very few times though, in my life, do I, do I make a pause and say, okay, I'll grieve this later. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's super important. And being able to just say, you know what, this this is the work. This is more important than anything else that we're doing, you know? So when a grief attack comes, you just, you go with it. Yeah. So, yeah. Have you found that just going with it makes it easier to manage rather than the old style of, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to deal with it. And it's just always there trying to come out. Yeah, it definitely, because yeah, it comes out in like ridiculous ways. Like, if you don't, uh, you know, so if you just like let it flow out, it's, you know, like the, the tears will just like allow my sort of energy to get back into balance. It'll allow me to, you know, if I'm not going to just get 
you know, angry at somebody or frustrated at somebody or project on them how they're feeling because I've, I'm, I'm more of a clean slate. Like it's, it's like recentering myself. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was like, what are the benefits for society of acceptance? And I think you just laid some of them out right there. <laughs> you're not spewing things elsewhere. And if, if all of us can do a little less spewing, <laughs> that we will all be a little calmer. What other, what other ways do you see having a personal level of acceptance being beneficial to, to the greater world? Mm-hmm. So I'll give a, a little bit of an example that happened this weekend. There was sort of a metaphor, but uh, so there was, it's a, a real experience, but it's a metaphor for answering your question. So there, I was at a festival and there was a, a woman that had a balloon tied to her shoulder that was like up above her. But when she would walk, it would go out behind her and then it would hit people in the face as she's walking along. <laughs> and so she was not aware that her balloon was hitting people in the face. Right. And so I told her that this was happening and like she very undefendedly said, you know, thank you for that. And she changed something about it. And so it stopped hitting people in the face, right? If she was not willing to accept that her balloon was hitting people in the face, then she should, she would have just been like, well, you know, F you and like, keep going. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so the society would have been at her mercy. Right. Mm -hmm. And that happens all the time with all kinds of things. And so by accepting that we have emotions, that we have you know, flaws, we have habits that we don't like that we're working on changing. We have all these things. We're able to, to really just like know our stuff and know where it's influencing other people and we own it. Right. And so we are much less defensive and we can be present with other people. And that means we've got more energy to, to be part of projects. We say yes when we mean yes and we say no when we mean no, right? We don't just like half commit to something and then it falls apart. So our contribution is much heftier because we only say yes to the things that we really intend to follow through on. So that's important as part of acceptance. Um, Just, yeah, so many things. And also just like raising children, right? If we judge ourselves for feeling certain ways, that's going to come through in the ways that we raise children. It's also going to come through in our intimate relationships, our partnerships, as we eventually, I think, we eventually start treating people like we treat ourselves. And so if I'm really judgmental of myself, then eventually I'm going to start judging my partner. And Mm -hmm. so if I don't accept that that's happening now to myself, then I'm definitely not going to accept it when I start doing it to my partner. Yeah. And, and just even being aware of the voice in your head that's saying those things. I think so many people don't, they hear the voice, but they don't attend to it. They don't notice, oh my gosh, I say ugly, ugly things to myself. I'm very <laughs> right. judgy. And having that newfound awareness often chafes for people. So often very uncomfortable noticing it, but yes. to catch that and to start recognizing and hearing it and then seeing the ways it bleeds out into our, our interactions and our conversations with others is, is incredibly powerful for, for being able to change things, but not judge, not saying like, Oh, I have such a negative voice. I am such a terrible person because I have a negative voice. It's right. And then it spirals. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. You can't, you can, yeah. It's well, and it's just like with positive dog training, right? So you, you positively train yourself to not do those things. Right. Mm-hmm. So you replace that habit with, you know, things like, Oh, you're a loser. You can't do this. It's, you can't do this yet, or I can't do this yet, you know? And, and I find 
actually it's not I find there's research that says that if you talk to yourself in the third person, if you're feeling anxious, it actually reduces your heart rate a huge amount. Mm-hmm. And I think partially because you end up being much nicer to yourself. Mm-hmm. So, and it's also much more present because you can say, you know, well, Grisha's sitting in a chair and she's feeling uncomfortable. Grisha's doing this and Grisha's doing that. And then you're like, oh, actually I feel really good now. Yeah. It's amazing how it provides that little bit of distance that allows you to be slightly more objective, you know, exactly the the broader view where you're kind of looking in and going, wow, Colleen is nervous. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then we can do something with that as opposed to I, my entire being is nervous. That's not the same thing. We end up being owned by our emotions instead of the other way around. I have emotions. I have feelings, but I am not my feelings. I have the awareness sees myself having those feelings. Yeah. So. There's so much richness in here. This, there's a yeah. lot to really talk about in this conversation. This is very interesting. Yeah. Um, so obviously there's all these wonderful benefits. What gets in our way? <laughs> Why aren't we all just walking around happy and accepting all the time? Yeah. So it's, well, first of all, it's, it's hard, right? So it's, it's not the comfortable path because accepting yourself is like, oh, wait, I can't blame that other person for doing this. It's actually me. Right. And so there's like this moment of sitting with what the Buddhists call the Shenpa. It's like being hooked where you're, you're wanting to respond to someone, you know, aggressively and you're like, wait a minute, that's my stuff. And, and, you know, pulling that back or, you know, just so all of it, it's hard. It's just not something we're taught. Well, lots of people are taught, but lots, most of us, I would say are not in the Western world. And so that's one thing. Um, Also be like when interacting with people who, who have more of a standard style that I might make fun of you for admitting, you know, that you have emotions, right? Especially for men, which is why the male suicide rate is so much higher than women. I think it's a huge piece of it is that men are not um, accepted for having emotions. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost this like covert operation of finding other people that are in your tribe that have feelings and admit to them. Yeah. Uh, So there's that. And then there's just a, a lot of conditioning. So just like dogs, we we are products of our conditioning. And so we have strategies to meet the needs that we have. So we have a need for safety. We have a need to belong and lots of other needs and for thriving. And so the strategies that we have kind of worked. They were enough. They, they, they kept us in our families. They, they kept aggression to a minimum. And so it's hard to give up a strategy that worked to some extent. Yeah. Right. And so we can't, the best way to think of it is not to judge ourselves for having these defenses or whatever it might be, but to say that worked for me at the time. It was, it was what I needed and I don't need that anymore. Like there's yeah. like strategy 2.0 that I can try that will, <laughs> that will give me, that will meet more of my needs. Because a lot of times the, the things that we do, and we talk about this in the, in the how to human class just this week, how we come up with strategies that meet some needs, but they prevent or block the other needs. Yeah. Right. So for example, smoking is a strategy to, to a lot of times to calm us down or to, to help us belong because we might be hanging out with smokers or whatever else. But then that also doesn't meet the need for health. It doesn't meet the need for belonging in non groups of non-smokers. And so other things like that. So really looking at our needs and our habits and all those things and finding out, do they meet our needs is really important. Yeah. And, and do they meet the long-term important needs 
more than the short term sort of, but not all that important needs. And that's a real tough one, especially like smoking is an easy example. I don't smoke, but I'm totally into chocolate. So (sighs) I like given in in the moment, Mm -hmm. maybe not the long-term important need I'm meeting there, Mm -hmm. but. Right. Exactly. In the moment you're like, yes. And then five seconds later, you're like, oh, I actually didn't need that. Did I? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is that we are like, we are subject to reinforcement. It's like, that's how we learn and that's how animals learn. And so it takes a certain amount of awareness. I kind of think about it as like my awareness is at the level, like that's my dog trainer. And then my like, you know, feed me now, feed me now. I I want this. I want this is the border collie in my head. Mm -hmm. And right. And so I, I, it takes like the responsibility, like the trainer to be responsible and say, I'm just going to prevent access to that. Or, you know, like, we're just not going to do that. But look here, you know, you want this chocolate. Here's this other thing, right? I have like a list of things at the ready for the border collie to go chew on besides for, you know, you know, whatever else it's doing. So substituting habits helps a lot. But um, anyway, but yeah, and you were asking earlier about like, why does this, why is this not, you know, why is not everybody doing this as well? And yeah, like I said, it's hard and it's also, it's like a spiraling lesson. So we can do it a lot of times when we're by ourselves, And then when we get to friendships and relationships and then super intimate relationships, things start to fall apart because it triggers our old responses. So it's just just like with dogs, that if we're working with dogs with reactivity, they may be fine 30, 40 feet away, but when they're actually interacting with another dog, you know, that's harder, right? When they're meeting on the street or when they're playing off leash, that's even harder, Mm -hmm. right? Or if they're around the home, that there's like other things that can come up. And so really recognizing that we have, we have triggers that, that, that trigger this old habit of guardedness and defensiveness everywhere. And yeah. so being, having the awareness to recognize it and, you know, doing things like meditation daily to be able to be aware of it is really, really powerful. So powerful. So. Yeah. I often joke that I like those signs that say like live, laugh, love, but I think a more realistic one would be behavior deteriorates under stress. And if that could be in every <laughs> room so that we would just all remember our intentions are great, but yes. this family event is not going quite as well as we hoped. Exactly. Yeah. We all might need a break. Exactly. <laughs> we all brought our good intentions into this room and then reality and old triggers and habits popped up and yeah. here we are. Um, and just having a little compassion and acceptance of, of, okay, that happened. It's not what we wanted. Put mm-hmm. our dog trainer hats on and go, well, so next time, and there will be a next time. Well, yeah. we'll <laughs> right. Exactly. Yep. And I, I mentioned this a lot that there's like an idea of should, like they should be treating me better or, you know, we kind of expect other people to be just as non-defensive as we are. Right. So when we manage to like get our defenses down, we're like, but they need to be. And when we truly drop our defenses, people drop their defenses pretty well. But if we're kind of half dropped and we're waiting for them to do something before we do with the next counter move, then it's not effective. Yeah. And so the thing, the metaphor that I like to use is that if, if I am walking with my friend and we both fall down a hill and we're rolling and we're tumbling and we get to the bottom, whichever one of us stands up first should be the one that helps the other. <laughs> right. So if we get in a defensive state, like whoever figures it out first can like get undefended and help the other person. <laughs> I love and that image. The same person a lot because maybe somebody's better at getting up at first. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. 
I think that's a really helpful image. I love that because it's, it is, you know, neither of us has an intention at the bottom of the hill about that. It's just somebody gets up. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Here we go. Yeah. And now like, wait a minute, you're supposed to be the one that gets up and helps me up. It's like, no, you were physically able to do it first. So, okay. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. That's really cool. Okay. So if someone would like to become more accepting, what would you say are some beginner strategies? Hmm. I'm like beginner strategies. I don't know. Um, so, cause I, they're all blended. Right. But I would say the moment that we realize that we're not accepting ourselves is a win. And that's something to keep in mind is that like, instead of framing it as like, Oh, I just, I was just telling myself bad things. Like that moment is actually like, yes, I just recognized that I was doing this. Like that is the practice. So recognizing that, you know, that there is, you, you will over and over and over find yourself not accepting yourself. And so anytime you notice it, mm-hmm. that is accepting yourself. So that's the win. So there's that. Also, I mentioned meditation. I love the Headspace app. There's a, an app for, me, for guided meditation. There's a couple out there as well, um, but I really like that one for no other reason than that was the one that I got into first. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, that's my habit. And, but I love it because there's different packs in there and they have like 30 days you can do on grief or acceptance or whatever else. And so that's, that's a, a one I would recommend. We will link to that in the show notes. Okay, cool. And so other things is just being able to sense your body. So noticing when your body is responding to something just throughout your day, and it's going to be easier when you're not interacting with people in person. So just like pop on Facebook for 10 minutes with the only intention being of, I'm going to monitor my feelings as I read these posts. And then just like scanning your body and being like, okay, well, that was a good one. And my, I feel it here. And oh, that I feel anger and that's here. And and so really using it as a little bit of a metric for where are the emotions in my body? Yeah. I think that's really powerful. I've done with groups sometimes where I have like little gingerbread shapes on, on papers. And then we color in the areas that you would feel it. Like, where do you feel anger? And where do you feel sadness? And, it, and there's a lot of consistency among people, but it's not completely consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also interesting to have people go, I have no idea where I feel that. And then to really start thinking about it because our bodies are always responding. They're always mm-hmm. responding and we're doing so much based on body awareness that we don't, we're not consciously aware. I think it's so interesting yeah. when people think that dog training and, and people training are really different because we're such an emotion based creature who lives in a body. So right. we're like really, really smart, but we don't actually use that. <laughs> we're just <laughs> running around responding. And I have found that a lot of dog trainers who work with fear, particularly, are really sensitive to human emotion and development and all of that because it's this understanding of this is where we are and this is what's happening. So mm-hmm. how can we how can we shift it without making it worse? And the judgment and the harshness of that always makes it worse. Like mm-hmm. I shouldn't be doing this. That doesn't help us. Does not help. Yeah. 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 We we are just mammals and you know emotionally we have some more complexity but and we bark in more complex ways than dogs do. But uh yeah, so much of it is the same and the more we learn about ourselves the more we can then understand dogs. So it's it's a tool that you can use back and forth for that. 
Yes, I think it's really powerful. And I also liked your part about the the moment that you catch yourself not accepting to recognize that as a win. My brother years ago introduced that concept to me with the word rejoice. And he was like, rejoice, <laughs> another chance to practice. Look, here we are. And I thought that was so funny because I was not feeling like rejoicing in the moment of awareness. But but it's, it is a win. It is this moment of acknowledgement and, oh, look, I'm deliberately applying a practice in this moment as opposed to just reacting. Yeah. Well, and just yesterday I had, I was texting with my mom and she, there's a, um, a young, like a nephew that I haven't, haven't seen yet because by various reasons that they're not as connected to our family. And so it was his birthday and she said, wish him happy birthday. And I immediately like internally was like, you do not tell me what to do. And it's silly because it's just like wishing a two-year-old happy birthday. I can, I'm sure I've got time to do that, right? <laughs> and I just like send a little message to his mom or whatever. But so, but that immediate defensive reaction to me was like, ooh, there's something juicy here. Like, yeah. so instead of it being like, I'm angry, it's like, huh, like conditioned mind of Grisha is angry. Let's figure out why that would be. And, you know, and so I just like picking it apart. And it was really powerful because I could, while I was diffusing myself, I could also see my mother's reactions to my statements. And so I could realize more about where, you know, because it was a slow motion, right? Because it's mm-hmm. by text and not a uh, conversation. And so I can see like, oh, this is what her response is when she could tell that I'm upset. And so I can see where maybe I would have habitually done this. And it was just like, it was really powerful. So yeah, it sounds like it was really powerful. And also so interesting, just that that whole curiosity of what makes us do what we do is fascinating. Yes. So this has been an awesome conversation. Um, If people want to learn more about you and your work, how could they do that? They can go to my website, which is just my name, GrishaStewart.com. And one thing that I really, if you like this kind of stuff, I would check out the How to Human course. I'm just getting started with one now, but it's it's an evergreen course, so you can attend it whenever you want at your own pace. Awesome. I will put links to that in the show notes. And thank you so much for joining me today, Grisha. This was really fun. Thanks, Colleen. Thanks for listening to Unleashed at Work and Home. Are you looking for ways to feel better fast and make it last? Do you want more actionable ideas and strategies? Would you like to connect with other amazing pet professionals who care about helping animals and creating healthy, fun work cultures? If so, you are going to love the Unleashed Resilience community. Visit ColleenPilar.com community for more information. I can't wait to see you there.